0: Psalm 88, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, for the director of music, according to Mahalath Leonoth, a mascal of Hemen the Ezraite. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken me from my closest friends, And have made me repulsive to them I'm confined and cannot escape My eyes are dim with grief I call to you, Lord, every day I spread out my hands to you Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken me from friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. This is God's word.
1: Sarah, thank you. And um, do keep Psalm 88 open. If you're thinking, well, that's a, that's a bleak reading. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. And um, just a reminder then, we've, this is the last of a run, little run of three and um, uh, so a normal habit then to uh, work our way progressively through uh, books of the Bible. And uh, starting in the book of Colossians next uh, Sunday morning. But uh, these three, um, uh, in January, three Psalms, thinking about how to groan well. As um, uh, an old lecture uh, I had at Theological College put it, uh, Andrew Sheed. Um, I thought this was a helpful comment. The, the New Testament gives us a new song of redemption. But it doesn't give us a new song book. We still go back to the Psalms to express our joys, our grief, our bewilderment, our hope. And I think there is something to that, biblically. Yes, there's a new song of redemption, uh, a deeper, richer song in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing the cl- with clarity of his work. But the Psalms is still our book of songs. And I don't know what tune you'd put Psalm 88 to, but it is meant to be sung according to... The Bible here. Let me pray, and then we'll read. No, we'll read. We've had it read. Then we'll look at this together. Father, again, we find ourselves saying, "You are good. You are kind. You're a father who knows what his children need, and so you give us psalms such as this, which may not be what we want to sing every day, but at points, it may be the only thing we can sing." Father, help us to understand it rightly. Help us understand how we can sing it now, this side of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach us, we pray, in his name. Amen. So we've been saying then these last three, groaning. Uh, life has its troubles and uh, you, we instinctively groan. You can groan well or you can groan badly, you can groan in a biblically faithful, or better word, hopeful probably way, or you can just groan and uh, moan. And Psalm 88 is a psalm of uh, a man, Heman, at the point of despair. I think that is obvious as that is read. And as I mentioned, uh, one reason for doing this little run of three, uh, partly to cheer us up in January... Sort of. Uh, partly, I think we're at a cultural moment when um, uh, issues, mental health issues, anxiety, depression, undoubtedly have been raised. Uh, they're prominent culturally. Why? Well, that is a very complicated question. Um, very, and of course, it can vary. What do you even mean by such a thing? Uh, I'm depressed. What does that mean? It's raining. Uh, uh, you're feeling a bit blue. Uh, all the way through to a profound clinical depression. As uh, one medic I uh, wrote described it, an interior pain that is all but indescribable. Uh, I read, uh, not read uh, watched a few things online. Uh, Richard Winter, he's a, he's a Brit who's a, a clinical uh, psychiatrist by background and um, also theologically trained, and he currently lectures at a theolo- theological college in the States. And he's got lots of good lectures online in this sort of ballpark. Uh, at one point, he introduced one of his lectures with Abraham Lincoln, Which um, probably the other side of the pond is better known as someone who always struggled, well, from his mid 20s onwards, struggled with depression the whole of his life. And um, Winter said, Look, having read most of the biogs about this, there's reasonable consensus what caused his depression. That is, he had a mum who had depression. So there was probably a genetic disposition towards it. Uh, His mother died when he was nine years old. That's a significant trauma. Uh, in your childhood. Uh, just before his first depressive episode in he, uh, age 24, one of his closest friends died unexpectedly. And uh, uh, when depression first hit him, it was the worst winter in years and the weather was just really miserable. And any one of those four lacking maybe he wouldn't have slipped into age 24, his first round. Who knows? The point being, what causes it, it is complicated. genetic, Circumstantial, trauma, experiences in life, the weather, all these things, they all come together. We're complicated as humans. So as you said um, uh, each and every week, we have to hold together at least, and this is a really simplistic way of thinking about it, but the fact that we live in a fallen world where stuff goes wrong, where you may be in a war zone. That has all sorts of impact upon you, where you may suffer trauma at a tender age. You may be badly abused. You can be bent out of shape in a fallen world. Secondly, we have a fallen bodily chemistry. None of us are quite wide as we should be, uh, and some have much more of a disposition towards mental health issues. And then thirdly, we have a fallen nature. What are you going to do? Given those first two, how will you respond? And often the Bible is chiefly concerned with that last category. All three are there, but what are you going to do? There's a limit to what you can do about living in a fallen world. You can maybe buy an island. uh, uh, The the mega-rich, do they? They're buying islands off New Zealand. They think that's probably safe. Um, And hide that. Well, yeah, that's maybe, but you can still get sick. There's a limit to what you can do about the categories one and two, but the latter, well, you say, why am I downcast? Oh, my soul. There's something you can do. So biblically, part of those things is learning we're not in control. God is. We'll fail at some things. That's life. Death is in this world. At times, we lose people we love. It's not the end. Now, we know those things, but it's a wrestle. Psalm 88 is written by Heman, put to a different tune, but written by him. And he's wrestling with how he feels. You see, in particular, there's a gap Um, Underneath the uh, uh, the the superscription, verse one, Lord, you are the God who saves me. I know that. I believe that. That is my faith. And then the rest of the psalm is, "But I don't feel that." (laughs) But where are you? Where are you? There's a chasm between verse one, "You are the God who saves me," and his experience currently. He seems to have been abandoned by God. He's in darkness. Now look, just as we begin, let me make the obvious observation. Psalm 88 is a challenging psalm with no obvious light at the end of it. In fact, the last word is darkness of the psalm. But one thing, if nothing else, Herman does in this psalm, okay? He holds on. And that, in many ways, is the miracle of Psalm 88 that he holds on. Here is a song to sing when you can sing nothing else. And perhaps for more of us than uh, that category, here is a song to help you understand perhaps the experience of others which may be very different from your own. You might, Psalm 88 might help you help them to hold on. Where are we? Just to orient ourselves briefly then, we're in book three of the Psalms, which runs from Psalm 73 to Psalm 89. It's the book of exile, that's what it gets called, it's not in the Bible, that's what it gets called, because most of the Psalms are dealing with the fact, um, books one and two, mostly about David, uh, book three whoa, 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 we're God's promised people and we've been, we've been defeated <laughs> and we've been booted out of the promised land. And you said that would never happen, God. What on earth is going on? It's, it's very short, Psalm 73 to 89, but that is book three of the Psalms. It's book-ended, Psalm 73 and Psalm 89. You know, the book of Psalms, it begins, Psalm 1 and 2, Psalm 1. Here is wisdom from God, and if you follow it, you'll be blessed. Psalm 2, the chief way you do that is by trusting in the Messiah, God's King, Then you get to book three and Psalm 73 says, well, I've trusted the wisdom of God and I'm not blessed. Psalm one's not true. And the end of it, Psalm 89 says, we've no longer got a king. And you said there'd be one who rules forever. So Psalm two's not true. So that is the sort of the vibe of book three of the Psalms. God following you doesn't work is book three of the Psalms. And the, the nadir of it, really, is um, Psalm 88. It gets at its lowest. Okay, where are we going to go? We're going to go like this. There are times when we cry out, but God seems silent. And that's, we'll go through most of the psalm. Then secondly, but he gives us real prayers so that we can cling on. And thirdly, and can understand others, chiefly Jesus. Let's work through that. There are times when we cry out, but God seems silent. And we look at most of Psalm 88 here. As I say, uh, verse one, uh, it begins, I think, somewhat of a defiant note of hope before the psalm descends. Lord, you are the God who saves me. But then he appeals day and night I cry out to you, My, my prayer come before you, turn your ear to my cry. And uh, I think it breaks down mostly like this. You get these three cries. Verse one, I cry out to you. Verse nine, second half, I call to you. Verse 13, I cry to you. They're different words, but the same sense. And again, the whole psalm is, you're the God who saves. I I know that by faith. But I can't see you. And my experience says, I can't trust you. Now what? Verses one to nine then, he says, I feel like I'm dead. It's cheerful stuff, aren't it? Pick it up, verse three then. I'm overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more who are cut off from your care. There are all these pictures of death. I mean, there's basically lots of different ways of describing death. I can't be certain. I think it's not literally he's at the point of death physically. I think it's this is how he feels. I I think that makes sense of it. So verse three, my life draws near to death. It's almost like he's observing himself. Fading away. Verse 4 I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. If you can't afford a tomb, you haven't got the money to be buried in a, a, a rock, then you just get thrown into the pit with the paupers. I used to have strength, but no longer, he says. Verse 5 I'm set apart with the dead like the slain like a battlefield with lots of soldiers dead on it. I'm just lying there. There's no life in me. I mean, here's a man who's utterly depressed. I don't know if you watched, um, very moving, the, uh, the Mr. Bates versus the post office, which is the most unlikely title for something which is quite so wonderful. Um, I mean, it's a terrible title, isn't it? But I don't know if you saw the drama, you know, picking up on the, the dra- dramatizing of the, um, the post office scandal Several thousand postmasters accused of crimes, a number went to prison, some took their own lives, and it was all complete cover-up, corporate cover-up, is disgusting. Um, But uh, the drama is compelling, and I mean, get your Kleenex out and watch it. Um, But uh, at one point, you, you see two characters in particular they focus on very much doing this, withdrawing, withdrawing, becoming less, less, less. Until you, one woman you see try to take her life, they save her. One, another man, um, Martin Griffiths, take his own life. Just so ground down, hopeless. It's miserable to watch. Let me encourage you to watch it. It's, but, it's, um, it but it is, you see them just fade, 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 ground down. He says, I, I feel like I'm dead. Now, the thing about this psalm, it doesn't tell you why. What is going on in his life? don't know. Is he in a war zone, such as Gaza, seeing his home destroyed? Has he got financial collapse, devastating medical verdict? We don't know. We've got no idea what's going on. And in God's kindness, it makes it quite a universal psalm. But he says, I feel like I'm dead. And then in verse 6, I think it gets even worse. Because no longer I... I feel like this, I feel like this. But you, you God, have done this to me. Verse 6 You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. You, done this. Verse six, not just you've put me in the pit, you've put me in the lowest pit. Not just you've put me in the depths, you've put me in the darkest depths. You've done this, Lord. You've overwhelmed me. Verse eight, you have taken from me my closest friends. You've done this. If you've been here at church for any length of time, I'll I'll say recurrently: in in the midst of suffering, you you, you got the the Christian gospel has three things you have to say, and now the worldview says them all. But all three things matter, and you have to hold them together. One: evil is awful; suffering is terrible. It's not illusory, like Eastern religions would say. You can't just overcome it mentally. No, suffering is awful. Secondly, God is sovereign. He is in charge of this world. It's not out of control. Thirdly, God is good. Now, the Christian says we see those three supremely at the cross. Evil is so evil, Jesus had to come down and die for the sin of mankind. God planned it, he's sovereign, and he did so because he's good. Here in Psalm 88, Heman says, I know suffering's awful. I know God's sovereign. I don't know if he's good. I don't know. I'm no longer certain about that. The little QR code. takes you to a little video did a couple of years ago on, on those three. But verses 1 to 9, I feel like I'm dead. And you've done it, says Haman. Verses 9 to 12, let me push that further. The dead can't praise you, God. So the uh, top of page 597, second half of verse 9. I call out to you, Lord, every day. I, I spread out my hands to you. I am praying, but then you get these rhetorical questions, the answer to which I guess is all, of all of them is no. Do, do you show your wonders to the dead? No. Do, the, do their spirits rise up and praise you? No. Is your love declared in the grave? No. Is your faithfulness in destruction? No. Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? No. All your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? No. And there's, I think, a sort of escalational here Grave, destruction, darkness, oblivion. It's pretty grim. Now, of course, objectively, it's true. Uh, Dead bodies don't say a lot. That is objectively true. I wonder, again, if the sense of it here is more subjective. This is how I feel. So if verses 1 to 9, I feel like I'm dead already. Verses 9 to 12, because I cannot praise you. And again, this is a one I thought profoundly shrewd quote, Andrew Sheed. Death can reach into this world from its nowhere. And the most basic sign of its creeping presence is not sickness or pain or anguish, but the absence of praise. I'm not physically dead, but death has got hold of me because I've got nothing to say to you, God. Herman observes. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, I mean, there's something in us which feels a little bit uncomfortable, possibly, at this point. It says, well, it's not true, is it? I mean, there is life. People do die and then go on to praise God. That's what generations and millennia of Christians are doing already, right? They've died and they're with Jesus and they're praising him. Um, Sure, Haman doesn't know the fullness of resurrection hope that the Christian knows. Of course, And yet, at the same time, some here know you can still feel the breath of death upon you now, even if physically there's not a lot wrong with you. This darkness, as J.K. Rowling describes it, you know, the dementor's kiss, sucking goodness and joy and hope from you. Still alive, but just hopeless. I feel like I'm dead. The dead can't praise you. And so the cry of verses 13 to 18. So why are you hiding yourself? Or why are you hidden by darkness? Verse 13. Now at this point, most Psalms, which have been a bit bleak like this, they have a turning point And they say but I've realised actually you're good, and but the morning has come and uh, uh, the clouds have broken and I trust you again. But verse 13, I cry to you for help, Lord, in the morning, good, my prayer comes before you. Oh. Verse 14, why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Oh. Very much like Job I think, Haman at this point. Wrestling, trying to reconcile what he knows about God. But God is good and, 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 and he's in charge of this world and, and yet my experience is not that. It's wrestling here. And verse 15, this seems to have gone on a long time. Verse 15, from my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I've borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They've completely engulfed me. What is? I don't know. What has happened to him? Is he someone, I think, as many would guess, someone who has long-term treatment-resistant depression? It's just a constant battle. All the time, but verse eighteen is the most miserable line. You've taken from me, friend and neighbour. Darkness is my closest friend. Helpful book that Mark Mannell, Christian minister, wrote a few years ago by that title, "Darkness Is My Closest Friend." His uh, biography and reflections, theologically, on being in this sort of state—it's a helpful book. There are times when we cry out, but God seems silent. But, second thing, but, he gives us real prayers that we can cling on. Real prayers. Now, this is a bleak psalm, and no doubt Haman uh, did have some friends, a bit like Job had some friends. And no doubt they're saying, Haman, it's good that you've expressed this. I mean, it's good. I mean, there's some nice poetry here. I mean, it's vivid, Haman. <sighs> um, like, how about a cheerful ending? How about that? Uh, because, you know, it's a bit miserable otherwise, isn't it, Heman? Uh, you know, chin up um, on we go but it doesn't go like that okay, it's something I read uh, related in the, in the week this is uh, uh, anyway, Chris Wright there is an implicit pressure to stifle our real feelings sometimes in church because we're urged by pious merchants of emotional denial that we ought to have faith so we end up externally voicing pretend emotions that we don't really feel and our real emotions we hide inside. Well, don't do that. Don't be fine. Feelings in turn are not expressed. That's not a good response. So he is honest. But again, I think the thing I, you've got to love about Haman in this psalm is he keeps clinging on. cries out to God I don't get it I don't understand I don't know why he'd put me through this but he's clinging on he's still holding on and here are words for when we can't pray if darkness is your close friend at the moment read Psalm 88 and cling on with Haman but do cling on we said, uh, thought last time, in, in this sort of, these sort of ballpark of mental health issues, you have to see yourself as both sinner and sufferer. Sufferer may well be a genetic disposition, may well be the circumstances of life have pushed you in this way. You may well have been, think, my life is harder than others. Yeah, that may be true. And you have to have that lens, for want of a better word. But also sinner, how we respond, we have some responsibility for. Heman prays. Heman clings on. He's not saying it's easy, obviously. Again, I was reading um, a little while ago. Uh, there's a the wonderfully named, in, um, uh, with, in Sydney, there's this wonderfully named clinic. Uh, and let, let's give the Aussies their due. They, they give blunt names to things. You know what it is sometimes. It's the Black Dog Clinic, um, you know, which is... a depression. I think most famously, I think it's attributed to Churchill, I think. He talked about his black dog a lot. But the Black Dog Institute um, in, uh, in Sydney, and every year they have a little competition, a writing competition for stories, for people to relay their stories of what's happened and how they're coping uh, with their depression. And a couple of years ago, they, they published uh, the, I mean, best seems a bit invidious, but some of the most vivid, uh, as Journeys with the Black Dog. I did the introduction to that book. Quote, This collection reveals that there is no one correct way of dealing with depression. Yet, taking responsibility for one's own pathway through depression was almost universally quoted as the first start in learning to live with the illness. Now, that's striking. It's a secular institute. But they're just saying, look, the only way anyone ever makes any progress here is saying... I can do something to help me live with this or I may live with it forever but I can act I am not merely sufferer I can choose how I respond so, do you see it's a myth that faith is always smiling it's not always smiling sometimes wonderfully it is uh, it's true that the Christian life moves in that direction. The book of Psalms moves in the direction of praise. It goes through many, many ups and downs, but the conclusion of the book, the last five Psalms, are hallelujah Psalms, it's true. Over time, individually, we would want our lives to move that way. We don't want to be stuck in Psalm 88 forever. That's not... It's true that human history moves that way, as in... This is a fallen world with lots of issues in it, but it's not the end. There is a new heaven and a new creation coming. All that is wonderfully true. You ought to be stuck in Psalm 88 forever, but but sometimes faith is just dragging one foot in front of the next. We're conscious. We know there is a God. We trust him sort of. We can't see his goodness but we know it's true, we can see the cross and so you keep dragging one foot in front of the other and sometimes that's what faith looks like you don't want it to stop there it's not the end, rejoicing is always the end but sometimes it looks like that he gives us real prayers so we can cling on and last little thing Partly, I think, Psalm 88 is here so that we can understand others and chiefly Jesus. We can understand others. This psalm is meant to be sung. Look at the title. A song. There's a clue. A psalm for the, for the songs of Korah, for the director of music, okay, according to whatever that tune is. Don't know it myself. Um, but whatever it is. It's a song. And in Israel's history... They sing their way through the book of Psalms. So on a regular basis, whatever tune it was, that have sung Psalm 88, that matters. I have read a lot of stuff in the last week or so that says, here is a psalm that people will rarely use. Essentially, Psalm 88 is, in case of emergency, break glass and read this psalm. But hope you never need it, just know it's there in case you ever do need it. Now, there's some sense in which that's true. I hope there aren't any here for whom Psalm 88 expresses precisely how they're feeling now, and that state endures for a long time. I really do, although for one or two, of course, it will be the case. But it is a song that's meant to be sung on a regular basis as well. Why is that? So that all of us know life's a bit like this sometimes, for some people. It might help us be a bit more... Sensitive to some people. It looks like this at points. You know, we've sung every week for these last three, the, um, it seemed the best congregational song to sing, you know, Lord from Sorrow's Deep I Call. No, I don't think we'll sing it again for quite some time, probably. But it's a good song to sing every so often just to remind us that sometimes that's what life is like. And we need to say, Why are you downcast on my soul? So here is a psalm, yep, that some will need to sing at the moment or say or pray. But I think for all of us, it's a psalm that might just be better friends than Job had. Might just help us sit amongst the ashes with those who are really going through it a little more sensitively. Now if you're still sat here this morning thinking, I'm not like this man, Haman, he sounds like a morale hoover, I don't want to be his friend, and I don't have any friends like this. Well, maybe that's true at this moment in time. If nothing else then, as we finish, I think Psalm 88 has to teach you about Jesus. It has to. The, uh, the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, 400 odd years old when the Anglican church was pretty good, um, and... Um, uh, Psalm 88 was the prayer assigned to be read on Good Friday. There's something instinctively people thought, you know this, it's a bit like Jesus dying, isn't it, upon the cross? And I think you'd probably want to say that these verses are more true of Jesus than they are of anyone else. Look again, just at one little block. Verse six, you've put me into the lowest pit into the darkest depths? Yes. Has God made him sin for us? Verse seven, Jesus could say, your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. Verse eight, you have a choice. You could equally translate it. You set all those who know me at a distance which is striking when you read Luke 22 and Jesus is dying on the cross and Luke writes all who knew him stood at a distance and you think Luke was thinking Psalm 88 as he described what was going on as Jesus died now hear me rightly (laughs) I'm not for a moment saying that Haman didn't feel this way that Haman didn't write Psalm 88 about his experience. Of course, that is true. But, at a more profound level, Jesus went into the lowest pit of human history. Jesus went into the darkest depths the world has ever known. As God's just anger, his wrath, fell on him so that it wouldn't fall upon us. He was friendless in a more profound way than any human. It makes me read verse 15 and think, from my youth I've suffered, I've been close to death. Is that a description in one sense of Jesus growing up from childhood and teenage years and early 20s just with the knowledge that the cross is always ahead of him, that shadow over the whole of his life, for the whole of my life has been pointing me towards the cross. And I suppose as Jesus prayed this prayer, as he would have done in the synagogue and and sung it with others, and sung verse 11, for example, is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction, he could perhaps, with a grimace, perhaps with a smile, say, and I know it won't be the end. I'll die and say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I'll come back. And I'll show others The death has been defeated and the door to heaven is broken open. So Psalm 88, it finishes with darkness. It's the end of the psalm. The Christian knows it's not the end because this was Jesus' life. It's not mine. There may be seasons, but they will pass Darkness is never the end. Light, glory, the face of God, that's the end. Let's pray together. Father, again we say you are wiser than us and you know we need to read this psalm. You caused your people to regularly sing this psalm. Father, we don't desire that this is our experience. We recognise for some that it is. We pray that they would cling and know that you are the God who saves and that darkness is not the end for those who trust in Jesus. For many more of us here, would we be good friends, better friends than Job had, better friends perhaps than Haman had, we don't know. But would we be able to sit and help people through the darkness and remind the believer what they know to be true that it's not the end, because it was Jesus' life instead of ours. Do we pray in his name. Amen.